dear Lord, we ask that you would use us to bring glory to your name. Thank you for the opportunity you have given us, and I ask that you would use our words to inspire others. Amen. All right, so I mentioned, and um, my uncle Edwin mentioned, I grew up on a family farm. Um, raised on the same farm that my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather were all raised on. It was actually my great-great-grandfather that moved to Oklahoma um, around 1905, a few years before statehood. And he had been farming with his uh, young wife in the deep river-bottom soil of the Missouri River back in Missouri um, when he accepted the Adventist message in the very early 1900s and decided he wanted to raise his children differently than the way he was raised. And he received a bit of pressure from his family farming community to conform and decided to move to the country, so to speak, from the uh, country where he was living to way out in the country of, of Oklahoma Territory. And so he brought his family out um, in a wagon or something or another <laughs> um, in the early, very, very early 1900s, a few years before statehood, started the family farm where I grew up. Uh, my great-grandfather took that over, expanded it. He, he was a bit of a business entrepreneur, got into the threshing business before people had combines, bought a lot of land during the Great Depression era when people were moving to California. And out of that has been birthed uh, two, two family farms, and then my family would kind of carved out a niche of a third one. Um, and so I've been blessed with a long farming heritage. Um, based on the original reasons for going were reasons of true education. Um, and so I was raised with all the benefits of country living. And I don't take those for granted. And you've heard, read, know about, I think, most of them. Um, but one I want to add to that, um, one of the hidden blessings, um, or for some people maybe a cursing, but by God's grace, a blessing. Um, for a multi-generational farm, you learn how to live with and work with your family. Um, a lot of people can survive in a, by living parallel lives. One works here, one works there, one goes to the office, one stays at home. When they're home, they do two different things. But if you're living and working together, you have to, you have to make it work or, or, or to survive. And so I can't say that the road through the, all the generations have, has been a smooth or easy one, but, but but that heritage has been passed down to me. And those lessons learned uh, by earlier generations were passed to their children. And um, so I was born into a home where my parents had a strong marriage. My grandparents had a strong marriage. All of, all of uh, my siblings are, are in the church. All of, my, all of my aunts and uncles of my father's five siblings are in the church. And um, it wasn't easy. And I don't, take, I don't take that heritage for granted. And, I, and one of the reasons why I'm choosing to stay on the farm and embrace that lifestyle 
is to pass on, uh, pass on those values and that legacy to the next generation. <clears throat> oh, so the subject, the title of our presentation today is Restoration Farming. Um, so you may uh, put two and two together already, but let me summarize a passage from Christian education. The true object of education is, is to restore the image of God in the soul. You know, in the beginning, we were crea God created man in his own likeness. You know, things have gone wrong, and it is to bring, back, bring him back to perfection, the perfection in which he was created, that is the great object of life, the object which underlies every other. And, and that's, that's one of the real reasons why we farm. The, you know, this is, that's an education quote, but nature is one of God's favorite textbooks, and the farm is, is a really great classroom. So I was not raised in a farming environment, but at eight years old, my, my family was, my parents were convicted by reading the Ellen White compilation, Country Living. We were living in the suburbs of Chicago at the time, and we moved out to the country of Michigan, and we eventually ended up going to the mountains of New Mexico. But my, uh, my mother, even when we were living in Chicago, she always, she inherited from her mother a love of plants. And I remember the first gardening book she bought. It was something along the lines of yardstick gardening. And uh, we had a little garden plot in our suburban backyard. And one of the things that I appreciate her doing is she gave each of us our own little plot of ground to take care of. And so I had my yardstick garden and I chose my plants and it was so exciting. And I remember, if any of you have young children who are a little bit picky about eating vegetables, go ahead and give them their own plot of ground and have them grow some themselves. They will learn to love things that they never would have imagined eating before. I remember I used to just hate radishes. I couldn't understand who would eat these things. I thought they had a terrible flavor. But when I learned how easily radishes can be grown, and they were growing so beautifully in my yardstick garden, suddenly I loved radishes, and I love them to this day. I remember my, my younger brother thought, well, if three feet by three feet, if small is good, then even smaller is better. So that first year, he had a square foot garden, literally. <laughs> One foot by one foot, and he planted one red cabbage in the middle of that square foot. But his red cabbage grew, and it was very inspiring. So as we moved to the country and then to the mountains, we had increased opportunity to start to learn the lessons, the great object lessons that you can learn outdoors. As our garden expanded, I remember spending many hours in the Michigan summer, hot, humid environment, weeding that garden. We hadn't learned some of the lessons about how if you, you know, cultivate early on, then you won't have to weed a whole bunch later. So we spent a lot of time weeding. And then when we moved to the tail end of the Rocky Mountains, we must have hauled bushels and bushels of rocks out of our garden. But starting to learn perseverance and self-discipline out under the open sky together, working as a family, was a huge blessing for me. And I grew to just love, love gardening. As a teenager, I remember that I would... Uh, try to swap chores. I did it quite a bit with my very accomplished cook, indoor-loving sister so that I could spend more time outside and she could spend more time inside. Thankfully, she married a farmer, too, so now she spends lots of time outside. <laughs> but I really appreciated it. And I remember when I was 15 years old, I was writing in my journal. I decided to write a list of what I was looking for, hoping for, 
to marry and a husband someday. And among many other various and sundry things, I wrote that I hoped that I could marry a farmer. <laughs> well, I attended Southern Adventist University, got a nursing degree there, had an interest in um, health and missions, and thought it would be good to have a secondary uh, career just in case there was a drought or something. Um, um, but at Southern, only found church administrators' daughters, doctors' daughters, had a prejudice against them for some reason. Um, but uh, I, after I graduated, I worked for a year and a half nursing, took a lot of my savings and went and started a six-acre commercial asparagus production back on the home farm. And um, then eventually the organic market garden. Um, and a uh, few years after that, uh, I, they, they, were really, they were really great excuses. I had so much asparagus um, that I would really just needed to find some people to give some to. And so who better than the Neblets? So I convinced them to stop by. And uh, they stopped by, and, and the rest is history. <laughs> so. <laughs> Doctor's daughter notwithstanding. I remember I was so impressed with his garden. You know, I already loved gardening, but I had never um, seen a garden quite like this. I hadn't spent actually too much time on the Dysinger farm before this time. And I remember running around his market garden. I was so impressed by his lettuce beds. It was just the perfect time of year for a full lettuce display. And he was growing modest stone lettuce that year, you know, that green lettuce with the purple flecks in it. And I'd never seen anything like it. And anyway, I was, I was really excited. And we could go on and on a long time telling you about the story of how we came together. And we don't have time to do that this morning. But I will say that, um, you know, before, a few, a few days before our first meeting and conversation, I was talking to uh, a mutual friend. And she started talking to me about Luke. And I'll tell you, my honest reaction was that this, his resume sounded way too good, like, you know, an organic market gardener who's also a nurse, who spends his off-seasons, you know, overseas volunteering and lives on a family farm. And my natural female defenses came up and I thought, oh, she was like, he's going to be at camp meeting in a few days. You'll have to try to, you know, meet him. I thought, I am not, go I'm going to make sure that I don't run into this guy and I don't have a conversation with him because I don't want to talk to a guy that sounds this attractive. There must be something wrong. But... <laughs> I can tell you, testify, I'm so thankful that God overruled and had different plans. We did end up talking, and that during that first conversation, we found so much to connect with. And long story short, in, in the fall of September, in September 2012, I found myself marrying a farmer just as I, as I had always dreamed of doing. And I want to say something, um, this is kind of a side note, but you know the verse in Psalm 37, verse 4, it has almost become a mantra, I feel like, for single people. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Well, I, that verse was really precious to me, but I came to understand that verse in a deeper way, and that is that I don't think that verse is actually saying if you follow the Lord, he's going to give you exactly everything that you want. Obviously, that's not what it means. But as we embrace the life that God has called us to live, as we cultivate a deep relationship with us, with him, then he will be able to author the desires of our hearts. And when God authors desires in our hearts, he is well able to fulfill them in his perfect time and way, above and beyond anything that we could dream. And that's what he did in my life. 
We love the verse in Song of Solomon, um, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It kind of is an object lesson using uh, the, uh, the words of the garden and springtime to describe love. And that's how it was for us. It says, For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, and the time of singing has come. All right, so we need to start moving forward um, in our presentation here. Um, I took Shante to Democratic Republic of Congo on our honeymoon, compliments of invitation from the Mosers. I see some Mosers here, some of our other Congo Frontline Missions compatriots. Um, and uh, then they had us back every winter for the next five years. And our first year back, uh, winter of 2013, um, we didn't have any kids yet, had a lot of free time, no electricity in the evenings, except for headlamp and battery, and we had a lot of time to read, and we did a lot of reading. And, and God brought us to some convictions. And one of those convictions was, hey, you're over here doing service in Congo, how about your life in the States? How about your business in the States? What are you doing to serve your community um, right where you are the rest of the time? And um, so we started thinking and praying about that. And things like, uh, reading things like, nothing can or ever will give, give character to the presentation of the truth to help people just where they are um, so well as Samaritan work. That's in Welfare Ministry, page 132. So what is Samaritan work? Helping people who are in need? How can we do that in the context of our lives? And so that's something we started praying about. And, and we didn't really exactly know, well, I guess, um, so we, we just prayed, God, if, if there's somebody you want to minister us to minister to, you know, bring that person into our lives and give us enough, enough sensitivity to your spirit that we'll notice. So the spring came, and a new season started for our family. Actually, the, the day that our first child was born was the first day of work for an employee that we had hired to help us during asparagus season, and we recognized very quickly that he was the first of a long line of answers to that prayer that we had been praying that winter. And uh, I can't even begin to tell you the deep lessons that we have learned through this journey and that we're still learning. It's a journey of faith, a journey of growth. And in fact, it's, um, for our family farm, it's just another step carrying on of a legacy that has, has been going on for the last generation. Um, so let me stop here for a small disclaimer. You know, we may be occasionally making references to a number of our actual friends and family. Um, for those of you who may be listening to this message later, you know that you are friends and family. We love you. Um, and you are brothers and sisters in Christ or actual relations. Um, we're not into need shaming. You know, we all, we have been so blessed by the generosity of others. You know, we all have uh, so many needs. And, it, and our, our needs and our extremity actually warm the Lord's heart. Um, he has an upside-down sort of kingdom where I aspire to be one of the least of these. So um, let's just put that out there. Um, if God has ever blessed you through your friendship with us, um, you know, we give him all the glory for that. So Luke's grandparents 
um, his father's parents who lived their whole lives on the farm, set such an example of carrying out this work, inviting people into their homes. And they had a whole string of people before Luke was even born and then as he was growing up. Yeah, I was just asking my dad yesterday on the way up here, say, well, hey, how many people did your parents take in when you were a kid? And he started counting and we lost count, I think about a dozen. Um, after my time, another six or so. So that's like 18, 18 people or, or so they, they took into the home over, over the years. Just the whole assortment from orphans to refugees to just people who were down and out. And or need, some young people life. needing some guidance and some good hard, hard farm work to mm -hmm. get their thinking back straight. Anyway, so my grandmother, my grandparent, my grandfather passed whenever I was in college. My grandmother continued on the work in his absence. She has a big farmhouse, three bathrooms. The bedroom at the back has its own bathroom. There's a big upstairs with its own bathroom. And she could, she could host an extra person or two once her kids were gone. Um, but even when her kids were there, they added some extra ones. Um, and so, you know, our theme for this conference is living parables. And I guess you could say the parable for our presentation today is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and that, that ties into our restoration farming. Um, and you could say the farm is... You know, the, the Good Samaritan picked that guy up off of the road, and he took, took them somewhere for some restoration. And um, a farm is an ideal restoration inn, and that's what we strive for our farm to be. <clears throat> so um, how do you do this kind of work? So there's another quote we came across. This is a medical missionary quote, but... Um, in reference to Isaiah 58. This chapter is explicit, and there is enough in it to enlighten anyone who wishes to do the will of God. That's 6 Testimonies 289. So Isaiah 58 is explicit, and in it is, an, is enough information uh, to enlighten anybody who wants to do the will of, the will of God. So I'm sure you're all familiar with Isaiah 58. When's the last time that you read it in explicit fashion for your mission, your, uh, your mission statement, um, or for instructions on how to do mission work. A long chapter, but we'll skip to some relevant portions. Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Have you thought about that one? There's, there is some economic and labor slavery left back in the world, um, but uh, there's also so many other forms of slavery, so many addictions. And um, addiction recovery is um, such a need that so many people have. And... Um, we didn't go out to be recovering addicts, but we've hired some, and, uh, and we've had some friends stop by who were in need of a new start. And, you know, the farm, manual labor in the fresh air and sunshine, eating some good vegetarian cooking, drinking, being out of necessity forced to drink a lot of water. We don't serve many other drinks, and you get 
very thirsty working in the, in the summertime in Oklahoma. These are great, great ways to detox. And, a, and being in a community um, where uh, substance abuse is like outside the parameters of the present reality is a, uh, is a, really, it's a really great way to make a step in the right direction. And um, we've seen a, a number of lives blessed um, by their time on our farm. All right, going on. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? Now, this is a little harder statement to read. You know, I didn't, you know, my grandparents used to bring some people into their house, but I'm, I didn't really grow up with that in my own personal household experience. Um, there's reasons. Um, you know, why you should be careful about who you bring into your house. But, hey, this is what the text sa says. Bring the homeless poor into your house. Um, it, how often do you do it? I, I have to jump in here really quickly. We were, when we were in Sudan a couple of winters ago, we were studying Isaiah 58 together as a couple. And as we were taking it verse by verse, we got to this verse, and I'm like, what does that mean? And he's like, what do you mean, what does it mean? I mean, it says what it means. And I was like, no, 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 like, what does that mean in context of our modern era? What, what, is, what are we supposed to do about that? In my mind, it didn't mean bringing people actually into your house. I was, at the time, you know, we had a lot of, just a whole stream of beggars that would come by our door all the time. And I was like, does that mean that we're supposed to, like, invite them in to lunch with us, like I'm supposed to bring them all in and feed them right at our table. And we realized that, I mean, that is what it's saying. That is what it means. And just because that's not something that people usually do, doesn't mean that that's not something that God wants us to do. Um, so I'll tell you the secret. Just become friends with some homeless and poor people. And once you're friends with some homeless and poor people, it's real easy to invite them over. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, where was I at? Um, and currently, you know, we're on our farm right now, we're all poor. So, except, except we are rich in some uh, land, vegetables, and love. So, uh, we have um, our, our small work crew uh, over for lunch every day. We have a little com community farm meal, our, our two regular uh, employees, uh, and uh, we all eat together. And then we started having a prayer time after lunch. Um, where we lift each other up in prayer, our needs, um, asking God to use us to be a blessing. And it has, it has been, um, we should have started that years ago. I don't know what we're dragging our feet for, but it's been such a blessing. Amen. You know, our culture, our Western culture, has naturally insulated us from experiencing or even knowing what the struggles of our neighbors are. And one of the things that I've really appreciated about this agrarian lifestyle and this form of ministry is that it's given us and given our children a much more direct way to bless others. You know, instead of taking your, uh, your canned goods to the, a box in the back of the church foyer every Christmas time so that somebody can put them into a basket, so that somebody can deliver them to a door, so that some family that you'll never meet can eat them, Instead, we can just set extra plates at our table and have our employees and our friends eat right with us who would not otherwise get a square meal. And it's been a beautiful way to teach our children to serve, to love, to share. We're not just having them take some dinged up can that had the label half ripped off to the back of the church that we really don't need anyway. We're sharing 
some of our favorite foods and having to divide them a little bit further, and that's okay, and that teaches them love and service. I, uh, I've just been really blessed by some of our employees, some of our friends. I remember we were sitting around the table a few months ago. Just We had a really cold October in, in Oklahoma. It was bitterly cold, and if we have a little bit of time, I'm not sure if we will. At the end of this message, we'll share with you some of our, our unique lifestyle at the moment. We're living in a tent, canvas tent. So anyway, I'm very acutely aware of when it's cold, more than people who live in houses. And we were sitting around our table sharing a meal with a couple of our employees, and we were asking one of them about how the family was doing, how the children were doing. Um, and he just started sharing, and he's, he really encourages me because he never talks in a self-pitying, poor me sort of a way. But just, you know, he started saying the reality of their lives. They, they couldn't afford electricity to have their furnace going, and so they didn't have any heat in their house. Well, they didn't have a furnace. They just heat it with their oven by opening the door. They didn't yeah. have an air conditioner either, I don't think. And gather around the kitchen when they get too cold and all sit in front and of the no oven. And no washer. No washing machine, so they're hand washing their clothes in the kitchen sink and trying to get them to dry. And I was just sitting there thinking, I mean, this is like the character building stories that I used to, that I read growing up about the people in the 1800s, but there's people living this way in our communities all around us, all the time. God wants us to connect to them, to connect to each other so that we can bless each other not only does he want us to be a blessing to them, but they are being a blessing to us too as we see the resilience and the fortitude and their willingness to just take the trials that come and do the very best that they can with them. I, was, uh, I really appreciate the opportunities that we have to get to know others in the garden setting because it really it gives us opportunities to get into deep heart-to-heart -heart conversations a lot easier than, I mean, have you ever felt a burden to get to know someone and encourage them, but you just don't even know how to go there? Like, you say, oh, shall we go on a walk together? That seems very awkward. You say, or, hey, why don't you come over and help us dig some carrots? Exactly. So um, there, was a, there was a girl that was attending our church this spring, and God put it on our hearts that we should really connect with her. But, you know, she was in a totally different life stage than me. I felt like I didn't have very much in common with her. So Luke suggested, hey, we've got all these carrots to harvest. Why don't we ask her if she... She wants a, a little job with us. So she, she was happy to earn a little bit of money, and she came, and she and I dug carrots together for two days. And it did not take me long, you know, working side by side with that girl, getting our hands dirty, and just talking. Her heart just opened up, and I got to see the, the deep heart needs of this girl. And little did I know at the time, you know, she was about to embark in a, in a season of her life where she really was going to need a lot of support. And I didn't know that. She didn't even know that at the time, but God knew that. And so he intersected our paths so that we could be there for each other. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And I'm thankful for the opportunities that the garden provides to bring people together. There's a quote in Christ's Object Lessons that I, I really love. It says, Christ's Object Lessons, um, page 86, all who would bring forth fruit as workers together with Christ must first fall into the ground and die. That's the analogy of the seed. The life must be cast into the furrow of the world's need. Self-love, self-interest must perish. But the law of self-sacrifice is the law of self-preservation. The seed buried in the ground produces fruit, and in turn, this is planted. Thus the harvest is multiplied. So in human life, to give is to live. The life that will be preserved is the life that is freely given in service to God and man. 
those who for Christ's sake sacrificed their life in this world will keep it unto life eternal. So our policy has really become um, to hire those who are in need of employment more than... Sometimes we need to hire somebody to get a job done. If, you're, if, if your initials are LH, you know who you are. But the rest of the time, um, and there's been others, there's many people in this room that have really blessed our, our family. But um, our usual policy the rest of the year is to hire people who are in need of work and try to mentor them or train them, help them to become good workers. And we, so not only just mentoring employees in good work ethic, attention to detail, efficiency, but really getting into deeper heart issues. Um, asking heart questions. What, what are your goals in life? You know, what's been your experience? What are your plans? How do you plan to get there? And, um, you know, getting to the bottom of what are the obstacles? What will it take to overcome them? And what is God's calling on your life? And getting to the bottom of pointing out our own human weakness and our own need of God, God's power and God's strength in our life. And um, there's been a number of employees, a number of friends who some have stopped by on duress, some have stopped by of their own volition. God, God pointed them in our direction. Um, I have one friend who dropped by um, to say hi, and I invite him to come out and work with me for the afternoon. Um, and I started asking him hard questions. You know, we grew up together as, as kids. Hadn't seen him for years. He joined the military, started drinking, got married, got divorced, got depressed, had some bad car wreck, trying to figure his life out. Asked him a lot of questions. And, I mean, I... Um, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing so much, but his, you know, his life took a turn at that point. He started seeking the Lord, left the alcohol behind. Eventually, God led him to um, evangelism training school here in Florida. He got married. We've kept in good touch since. He's had his struggles. I was able to uh, um, give him some mentoring in the marriage department whenever his marriage was on the rocks. And um, by God's grace, he has a, a good union with his wife now, and they've had the opportunity to minister, um, minister and, and, and lift up others in their own church community um, who, are, who face similar challenges. And that all started just basically from a conversation in the garden. So... You know, what's your willingness to have heart-to-heart -heart conversations with those in need? One of the things that I found is really vital in this lifestyle and ministry is that hospitality and service, they have to be a lifestyle. They can't just be an event. If you treat people sitting around your table, extra people, like a special occasion, there's always going to be stress that's going to lead up to preparing a meal for company. And you can't do that if you're going to live this way and have your door be a revolving door where people feel like they can come anytime. 
And, you know, I've been growing, I've been learning, but I've been so inspired by the example of Luke's grandmother. I remember when we um, first, we lived with her for a couple of years, and when we first moved in with her, she had invited a lady, a young mother, to come over and get some extra produce out of the garden that she had met, canvassing the community or something. Anyway, the young mother's there, doesn't know anything about picking produce in the garden, so grandma was out with her, showing her how to pick stuff. She didn't know anything about parenting either. Really young, single mother, and so I was overhearing grandma giving her some parenting encouragement and tips while they're going along, and grandma was in charge of lunch that day. We had a schedule, and she was supposed to be cooking lunch, and lunchtime was coming, and she was still out there in the garden, and I was thinking, you know, I was busy too, working in the garden, and so I thought, well, I guess she has it figured out. Well, lunchtime came, and she invites this lady to stay for lunch, and I'm thinking, you have not fixed anything for lunch. Not, I mean, nothing for any of us, let alone this lady. And she literally, Grandma went into the house and pulled a couple of bags of sweet corn out of the freezer, cut up a loaf of bread, pulled out the homemade mayonnaise and tomatoes, and we had tomato sandwiches and sweet corn. And there was lots of it, and it was tasty, and we were all satisfied, and the lady was very grateful. And I was just in awe, thinking, Wow, she like did nothing to prepare this meal, but it didn't matter because what that lady needed was not a gourmet vegan meal. She needed love and she needed to feel included. And so I've been seeking to grow in that area. I've come a long way. Sometimes I'm still really stretched. I remember one day this last summer, my couple of our workers showed up right at noon to work a half day. And Luke is like, hey, we'll feed them lunch, right? And I'm like, I didn't, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't have a pot of beans on like I usually have. I wasn't going to make lunch today. I had leftovers in the fridge, just enough for our little family. I was working on a project in the garden with the kids, and I was looking forward to not having to worry about cooking that day. And my husband made one of his classic lines, oh, well, I can, I can go ask mom if she has any leftovers we can add. And I'm like, okay, no, no, you know, I'll the, figure it out. There's a Bible out. verse for that, you know, go to your neighbor, <laughs> ask them for some bread. It seems real biblical to me. So, I told him, no, don't, don't go ask mom. Let me see what I can do. So I went to the fridge, and there were just the, you know, hodgepodge of leftovers I had, and went to the freezer. And I'm really embarrassed to share this story, okay? So bear with me. I'm just being very real for you. I found a package of Japanese ramen noodles in my freezer, and I whipped up in 15 minutes, you know, some fried up some tofu, some vegetables from the cooler, the ramen noodles, and I had ramen noodle soup on steroids ready for my guests. And, you know, as I'm sitting there and starting to eat and feeding my children, I'm trying to act nonchalant to cover up how mortified I feel over this. Feel free to judge me because you cannot possibly judge me more than I was judging myself in that moment. And our guests are eating, and one of the guys was like, you know, who's the chef around here? This is so good. I love this food. <laughs> and it was like the Lord spoke to my heart in that moment and said, you know, I don't need anything fancy. I don't need, all I need is a willing and a humble heart from you. And I can take your little loaves and fishes and spread them to be a blessing to the multitude. <clears throat> so over the years, we've had a number of single teen moms. The same spring, all right, so my wife didn't go into any details. The day our, the day our uh, son was born was the day um, that one of my friends, first time we really got to know him, started um, 
we, we didn't really know him at the beginning, but I've come to count him as a friend since then, started working for us. He's had so many ups and down struggles uh, with a number of different substance abuse issues. Um, come to our house in the middle of the night, had so many difficulties that we've, we've really been blessed with the opportunity to, to enter, in, enter into his struggles. But there was also another girl. Her mom died from a drug overdose when she was 11. Her dad was an alcoholic. She got into a bad relationship with a guy, decided she needed to leave town, moved a few towns over, staying with some friend from school's grandmother, needed a way to support herself, come ask, she'd heard, you know, maybe we should get some work out here. So we're like, sure, yeah, love to have you. We always need some help during asparagus season. So she started out just helping us during asparagus season. Um, <clears throat> you know, that was five years ago. And she's had a few kids since then. It's on a second relationship since then. And we spend a lot of time out of the country, but we were just able to reconnect this spring. And she's so excited um, to reconnect with Shantae, really wants to spend some more time with us, really wants to do a little work for us again. Um, but really, she's desiring that, you know, I had a lot of good heart conversations with her when she was 18, before she made a lot of bad choices. <laughs> and she was like almost. Um, uh, as some of Paul's potential converts, almost persuaded. And, but I don't think it's too late. You know, keep lifting these people up. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, hard, it's a hard road. A lot of them come from difficult places. And you have to be willing to persevere. You have to recognize there's going to be lots of relapses. There's going to be a lot of apparent failures. There's going to be a lot of disappointments as you see yourself pour so much energy and emotion and prayer into these people and, and then see them make such destructive choices, but what has God been willing to do for us? How much has he pursued us? And I have to remember that if I was born into these situations, if I was in those shoes, I probably would be the same way. So by the grace of God, let us continue to reach out again and again as he has done to us. All right, so we've mentioned my grandmother a lot, that we lived with her a while. We've, you know, we, we kind of been homeless ourselves. Um, and my, it's hard to say, we, we went to stay with my grandmother to take care of her. She was, she's 90 years old now. So back a few years ago, um, whenever I, I had the aspirations of making a house for my family before I got married, and, and we, my brother and I built a, a small place. Those of you who've been to the, to the farm might know what it is. Anyway, but it was on my brother's eventual homestead site, house site. And, uh, I'm not com completely houseless. I've got a house building credit with my brother. I just need to buy the materials. <laughs> so anyway, we went in together to build this house. We lived in it for a few years. Um, but then when my grandmother needed somebody to take care of her, we moved in with my grandmother. My brother has since gotten married and lives in that house. Um, and then we went to serve in Sudan for three years. And my grandmother sold her house to her oldest daughter. They retired, moved up from Louisiana. And my aunt and uncle are now taking care of my grandmother. Um, about halfway through our three-year um, three agricultural development project in Sudan, um, our work visas were not, were, were not re renewed on somewhat short notice. And we came back to the States on a more permanent basis one year ago, um, January of 2019. 
to no farm housing. I had my potential garden sites, had my walk-in cooler and other infrastructure, but I didn't have a house anymore. <laughs> so we uh, moved into my parents' basement for a few months while we uh, started working on a new homestead about a mile south of my parents, on a piece of property about a mile south of my parents. Same farm. Same, it's, it's family land. Um, we have a, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a uh, panel discussion on why and how you should, why and how you farm on Friday that I'm moderating. But I was, I had so many blessings. Didn't have to buy land. If I needed a tractor, I could just borrow my dad's tractor when getting started. Um, anyway, so a mile south of my parents, we started a new little homestead. Um, a little short on cash for building a proper house, so we bought a 16 by 20 canvas wall tent. Those of you who uh, are into elk hunting out in Idaho or have been on any old-fashioned tent safaris in Africa may know the type. It's kind of a posh, potential for a posh glamping sort of situation if you're on vacation or like camping. And I, you know, I like to view my life as a vacation, and I really like camping. So we, that, we moved in there in February of this, of 2019. Um, put in our, we had a, our old house had a Pioneer Princess wood stove. We put that in there and can really heat the place up if we put a lot of wood in it. Um, and so made it through the end of last winter in our tent. Spring was real glorious, and, uh, but we started <laughs> needing to make some preparations for slightly more sustainable living. Um, do you want to add anything? Sure. So the last year, our homestead journey has been full of lessons again. And we're out of time, so we can't really get into it. But I will say that um, you know, it's been helpful for me to keep our goals in mind. We want debt-free living. We want to live in the country. We really, after being in Sudan, like in a, in a town, we really wanted to spend some time in the outdoors with our children working alongside them, developing character. And living in a tent full time is definitely living outdoors, more than, I, more than I even realized. And it's not always been easy for me. And uh, I feel like sometimes my kids think it's just a grand and glorious adventure, and my husband does too. But, you know, sometimes in the middle of the night when I was pregnant, needing to use the bathroom, I just did not want to get out of bed because that floor can get really cold in the wintertime, even if the wood stove is going. Or, you know, when I want to do laundry and, oh, the generator's out of gas, so I need to go over to the farm to get gas. And then I, I bring back the gas and put in the generator. Oh, the generator's not working because it needs oil, so get that. Oh, there's actually not enough water in the tank for me to do my laundry, so I have to, you know, wait until... Anyway, life has a lot of inefficiencies, I feel like, when you're living the pioneer way. But I've come, to, I've come to appreciate that even these hardships are some of my greatest blessings. And if you've read Ellen White's vision in early writings, one of her first visions where she sees the narrow pathway and people traversing up to life eternal, she says that only those who have accustomed themselves to hardship and privation will remain on the narrow path. And as we heard last night, you know, our society today tries to avoid hardship and privation. We, as a society, are not used to hardship and privation. But living the agrarian life, you don't, you don't even have to live in a tent to come into contact with real hardship. 
and real sacrifices that you have to make. And yet, instead of viewing our lives as, our agrarian lives as, oh, there's so many perks. There's trials and hardships too, but there's so many perks. We need to realize that those hardships and those trials are indeed some of our greatest blessings because they are preparing us for eternity. And if you want to come on a farmcation, we have an extra 14 by 14 canvas tent. You can help me rebuild the high tunnels that blew away three years ago. We've got plenty of work to do the next few months. Um, but in closing, um, God has been leading. Uh, we know he has more work for us to do. We've been so blessed even by, um, I was so inspired by uh, Gabrielle McGlover's message yesterday um, on medical missionary work in the context of farming. And he has given everyone their work to do. God needs you to reach your friends, your family, your community. Um, he needs your garden, your farm, your business as a Samaritan outreach operation or a restoration in um, as a gospel training school. He wants you to partner with him in the great work of restoring his image in the lives of the people that he created. So let's close. Dear Lord, uh, we've been so humbled uh, by your leading, your blessing, and we just ask that as we go forward that you would use us, that your name would be glorified. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.